Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, February 22nd, and this week I'm in the driver's seat. I'm Donald Wine, a.k.a. Blazing DW on the boards. As always, my fellow passengers in this joyride, we have Jason Evans, a.k.a. Jason Evans. Yes, a.k.a. I went to Duke yesterday to see the Clemson game. Had a wonderful, wonderful time. Hashtag jealousy to the limit. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag long drives. Yes. (laughs) Only about five and a half or six hours. It's not. It's not a horrible drive. It's. It really isn't. To see a Duke game, come on. That's true. No, you're it's, right. You're right. You're right. Always worth it. And we also have Sam Klein, aka Devil Evan. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, we're all here. Let's get this discussion rolling. Duke, fresh off of the thrilling ninety-two to ninety OT victory over UNC, hosted Clemson yesterday afternoon at Cameron. There was no emotional letdown, and Duke had an easy seventy-eight fifty-six victory against the Tigers. We didn't have Jalil Okafer, but it did not seem to matter. Sam, let's start with you with your thoughts. I, I think we we had the sort of hangover part of the game, like right at the beginning and then again in the second half briefly. But the non-hangover parts of the game uh, like severely overwhelmed the, uh, the slow parts. Quinn Cook was awesome yesterday. I uh, I was really impressed with his game, uh, really impressed, impressed with Justice Winslow in the first half. You could tell that that Winslow sort of, Felt the felt the need to assert himself in in Jaleel Okafor's absence. Um, one of my friends pointed out that uh, it's kind of interesting when Okafor's not playing because Winslow and Tyus Jones are sort of much more able and likely to to drive to the hole because uh, Okafor's not taking up space. So we're definitely a different team without him. I mean, we're not kicking the ball inside and, and bringing it back out a lot. Um, we're we're really attacking the basket from the perimeter. And so it was good to see that that without him, we're still we're still a pretty good functioning team, albeit against you know a Clemson team that that didn't have their best game. Um, they only shot twenty two percent from three, and uh, and we played zone the whole time, which was pretty interesting. I I don't think Dick Vitale stopped talking about how much we were playing zone. Um, he only punctuated it with discussion about how fired up Mike Shashevsky was before the game uh, in the meeting that he had with Dick Vitale. I don't know. I don't know, Donald. If you caught that, Jason, you missed. You missed an incredible, like pantheon, Dick Vitale performance yesterday, where um, he had about four talking points, and he didn't stop saying any of them. I'm I'm so bummed. I missed that. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I and then and then just one more on Vitale. I as much as I I kind of give him grief because I, I think that he has sort of. His time has passed over as an announcer. I thought it was a little cruel of ESPN to put him back in Cameron right after the UNC game, so you could hear him talking about it. Um, but knowing that, sort of in his heart, it was it was it was a bummer that he wasn't um, calling that game on Wednesday. Uh, so that's sort of my impression of the game, uh, Jason. I'm more excited to hear about about your experience because you were actually there and got to and got to be in the crowd and and bring your son, I think, um, for his first game in Cameron. Is that right? Yes, yeah, uh, and by the way, um, uh, shout out to the DBR. It was a, a DBR poster. I'm not going to give his name because I don't want him to be besieged by people asking him for tickets. But there was a DBR poster who uh, said to me, "Hey, Jason, you're a big fan. You deserve to get to go to a game." And I was like, "Dude, <laughs> thank you very, very <laughs> much. Uh, really, really nice of him to do that." Uh, my son and I came up. We had a fabulous time. Um, you know, the, the, the crazies weren't as into it as they sometimes are. Uh, Clemson's just not an opponent that you're able to get up for all that much, Um, but they did a pretty good job. In the first half, Coach K and 
Quinn Cook uh, both took turns, like really trying, you know, reaching out to the crazies and saying, "Hey, let's let's bring our energy level up a little bit." And the crowd, as they always do, the crowd responded really nicely to that. Um, uh, you know, it was a close game for a, a little bit of time. I think you know, close around the ten minute mark or so, it was still fairly tight. Um, and then, uh, to me, the story of the game was Justice Winslow deciding that he was going to lift this team on his shoulders, and uh, uh, he had an absolutely dominant first half. And uh, you know, you don't want to say the game was over at halftime. And yes, Clemson made a run in the second half. I think they cut it to ten um, before uh, Duke stretched it out to thirty. Yeah, it, <laughs> um, it, it got down to ten very briefly. Yeah, yeah, very briefly. But you never felt like the game was in any danger at all. So a few things I want to mention about it. Um, first one is. Uh, I was right. Clemson can't shoot threes worth a darn. Um, <laughs> I, I finally Congratulations. said. Congratulations. Got you. one. <laughs> my, 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 my success percentage on teams that suck from the outside is now just barely superior to what Clemson was on three-pointers yesterday. They were 22%, and I think I'm about 25%. Burn. <laughs> Jason, this, means that, this just means that you have to go to every game the rest of the season when you make these predictions because you're 100% when you go to the game. And you make these predictions. There you go. You're right. You're right. I like that. And uh, I'm sure the DPR, will be, uh, plenty of people will be reaching out, offering me tickets to every possible game from now on. <laughs> I, obviously, you already touched on the fact Quinn Cook had a fabulous game. I, I love Duke's defense in this game. Really loved it because the zone got Clemson out of a comfort spot. Uh, they I, Can I ask really quick, did, does anyone have any idea what Clemson's plan of attack was in that game from an offensive standpoint? I have no idea what they were trying to accomplish because you would think they're a very good rebounding team ordinarily. You would think their plan would be, hey, Duke does not have Jalil Okafor, who's their best rebounder, their best shot blocker, best interior presence, and someone who at all times you'd be paying attention to. So I would think Clemson would have pounded the ball in the paint mercilessly. They didn't do that at all. Uh, Duke played zone. They didn't try to uh, – look, the way to defeat a zone, as we've seen over and over again this year, is you try and work the ball through the creases in the zone to the high post and things like that. Clemson, to me, didn't try to do that hardly at all. When they did, they got it to guys who were not good shooters. Uh, I, I mean, Clemson hit 41% of their shots, and they took a fair number of open shots. We were just sort of like, oh, you want to take a 16-footer? Take a 16-footer. And Clemson didn't hit it. Uh, it was It was wretched. Um, I, I loved, in addition to playing zone, the other defensive thing Duke did that they don't ordinarily do is, because we were small and a little quicker, Coach Case, we're going to press. And it wasn't a full-court press the whole game. It was more of a three-quarter or a half-court kind of press. Um, I, I, I thought we did a, a, a really nice job. There were a number of turnovers we got from it, but mostly we controlled pace. We forced Clemson to do the kind of things we wanted them to do. Uh, and it, it was a really, really nice all-around effort by a lot of different guys. Uh, the one other person I want to sort of shout out to was Grayson Allen. Um, the entire building, by the way, every time Grayson Allen comes in the game, Cameron gets a little more excited. Everyone can sense his athleticism and and his ability to perhaps make a really special play. Uh, I thought I, I, I said I think I said the other day that it feels like every game is Grayson's best game. There's absolutely no question that the Clemson game was his best game in a Duke uniform, and it really makes me look forward to what he's going to bring to the table moving forward down the line. Donald, what do you think? Yeah, how actually I, a follow up question: How loud did Cameron get? It sounded really loud when he had that alley oop uh, early in the game, um, where he threw down that dunk. I was I was out of my seat, basically, like, "Go get it, young man!" Like, how loud was Cameron at that point? 
I mean, it was pretty good. I, I, you know, I haven't been in Cameron a ton to be able to say, oh, this compared to Syracuse last year or Carolina the other day or anything like that. Uh, I, it, it did. That was probably our loudest moment. Either that or in the second half, there was a little run where we got uh, we hit a three, got a steal. I think maybe hit another three. It was right when Clemson sort of got it close and we stretched it out and you knew the game was over. Those are the two sort of moments where the stadium really, really got up. Um, uh, but I thought it was pretty good. My son, who'd never been to a Duke game in Cameron, came away very impressed with with the uh, with the loudness and also the coordination of the crazies. He loved it when when they were dancing and doing stuff like that. He really enjoyed that kind of thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I you know a few takeaways I had from this game. You guys mentioned Justice. You guys mentioned Quinn um, and Grace Allen. One thing I did uh, find surprising, and I think it was just given uh, the matchups. Um, Marshall Plumley played 24 minutes and Emil Jefferson only played 16. Um, you know, we saw Matt Jones start uh, and Marshall Plumley came off the bench, but playing 24 minutes for Marshall, uh, he wasn't really an active part of the stat sheet, but it seemed like he was a very active part of the game uh, when he was in there. The walk-ons, Sean Kelly and, and Nick Pagliuccio both got to play. Um, and that just tells you how, you know, much fun it seemed like it had. Coach K looked like he was having a blast out there. You could see uh, after um, after a turnover, I believe it was Quinn Cook went over to high five uh, Coach K. Coach K just wrapped him up in a bear hug, and they just he just looked like he was having a lot of fun on TV. I don't you know I don't know if it was different there, but it seemed like he just really enjoyed that game. He called it one of the best wins we've had in a long time, and that he couldn't have been prouder. And I think it was given that. We had seven scholarship players. We had the, the quick turnaround after an emotional UNC victory. Um, but it seemed like the team really responded to his energy, uh, both in the huddles and when he was coaching on the sidelines. So I thought that was really cool. And the final thing uh, that I took away was just how awesome Justice was on the glass. He had 13 boards. He was our leading rebounder by a lot. And he was dominating uh, on, the th- on the defensive glass over everybody in Clemson. And I just thought that was really telling how he stepped up in the absence of, uh, of Okafer to basically clean up the boards. It's interesting because Justice Winslow has entered a stretch now. I think it's, I think most folks point to um, right after Suleiman was dismissed that now um, Winslow has kind of played like a, like a man possessed uh, the last few weeks. And it's sort of flown under the radar because it's it's been overshadowed a little bit by Tyus Jones and by Quinn Cook, who have also really emerged recently. Justice is, uh, you know, I, I think we've said this a couple of times. He's he's sort of back to playing the way that he was at the beginning of the season, and it's great that he's turning it on now, and that and that he's sort of broken through that freshman wall we thought he had hit in in you know January. So I'm I'm I agree, Donald. I'm really impressed with with Justice Winslow and uh, Jason. Thank you for bringing up Grayson Allen because. I think for the first time, I felt like he looked like he was engaged on both ends of the floor. He like knew where he was supposed to be, um, and that's really great progress to see from him. And now that you know the team is is shorter in the bench than than it was, Grayson Allen may have to play that many minutes in a real game now. And and you know it, it's good that he that he looks as good as he did against obviously not a team that is at the top of the ACC, but a team that is usually competitive. So uh, that was really good to see. I, I enjoyed seeing that um, in this game. 
I was going to say, I'm, I'm 100% comfortable at this point with Grayson Allen on the floor. Uh, I think two weeks ago, none of us would have said that. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's wonderful. And, and let me get back to Justice really quick. And, and um, spoiler alert, uh, you will be hearing me talk about Justice probably right toward the end of our podcast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think that what has happened with him is that he has recognized that his athleticism allows him to do things that, frankly, no one else on the court can do. And, and he is confident in his ability to do those things. There were probably at least a half dozen plays yesterday where he was on the move, heading toward the basket. He would go up in the air. One or two Clemson guys would jump. They would go to the ground. Justice would wave to the crowd and then put up a twisting uh, layup of some sort or, or, or short jumper because he's in the air longer than anybody else. He's physical and strong when he's up there. You can't sort of knock him off of what it is he wants to do. I, I, I hate to make the comparison. Do you know whose name I'm about to mention, guys? Yep. He looks like a young LeBron. He does. I, I you know, I, I don't think he's got, he doesn't have LeBron's skill on the perimeter or with the ball in hands, but athletically, in terms of having that kind of size and build and being a unstoppable freight train on its way to its destination, he looks a little bit like that. And, and you're uh, not the only one who's who's mentioned that comparison either. Like, there's. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I saw it a couple times yesterday during that game. Mm-hmm. He's not. Look, I mean, the big difference. He's not the playmaker. Uh, he's not even close to the playmaker that LeBron is, and that's that's what set, sets LeBron apart from other guys like Justice Winslow. And I, I don't want to imply that there are a lot of other guys like Justice Winslow, but he's not unique um, in, in in regards to what he can do. But but there are are aspects of his game that really remind you of Bron Bron. He's also not like 6'9", 260. Right, right. But he's, <laughs> but he's strong. He's but like he is, 3% yeah, body fat. He's strong. But he's, but he's not. I, I, I think I remember reading that, that um, LeBron James has the same sort of physical measurables as Carl Malone, but he can do what LeBron James does, and that's why he is that good. Justice Winslow's like that, you know, minus a little bit of that, of that size. Uh, but I agree that the comparison, as, as Donald and I both pointed out, uh, came up yesterday during the game because I think there was one play where he where he made a steal um, under under the basket that Duke was scoring on and he like twisted around a guy and laid it in like you said you know spent about ten minutes in the air and and had time to to touch up his hair um, while he was up there uh, and that's that's the sort of thing that that very few guys even at the professional level can do uh, sort of making those those twisty plays through traffic and and finishing uh, I. I I, I like that comparison, even if you know it is maybe a little overblown. Yeah, and to and to close out um, uh, this game, a couple points. One, Tyus had nine assists, and I thought he was really good at distributing the ball. Um, Coach K had probably one of his uh, more unusual quotes after the game, and it was about Tyus. He said, "Tyus needs to be a mother. He needs to tell people, eat this, make your bed." Mothers are the greatest point guards in the world. They have four kids, and every one of them's nourished. And you know what? Tyus kept everybody fed yesterday. He was feeding the ball to everybody. Everybody, he made sure everybody was involved. And he had 11 points himself, so it wasn't like he was falling back in the action. And I, I think that was really telling that we we just talked about Virginia Tech or, or about this Clemson game for about 20 minutes now and barely mentioned his name. But he had a great game as well, I think. So now we're going to move on. We have a couple games coming up this week. The first one against Virginia Tech. It takes us to Blacksburg, where they are 10-17 and 17 and 2-12 and 12 in the ACC. Hopefully, Jazil will be back to play in Blacksburg, but that's probably going to, once again, be a game-time decision. This game has been sold out for months. It's the only game on their schedule. 
uh, that has been sold out. So they are obviously ready for their Super Bowl. Sam, you did a little digging on Virginia Tech. What should we expect to see from this game? Yeah, so as you pointed out, their record isn't that great. They're 2-12 and 12 in conference. Um, they've lost their last three games, all of which were on the road. Um, they lost some early games this season to Appalachian State and to Radford. Uh, so Virginia Tech is not the, the best version of Virginia Tech that they could be. So Virginia Tech is under the leadership of first-year coach Buzz Williams. He obviously used to coach at Marquette, which is now Steve Wojciechowski's job. Um, I think he's most notable for a game a few years ago at West Virginia where Marquette knocked off a good Mountaineer squad. And then during the uh, like after West Virginia games, they play country roads uh, over the loudspeaker and Buzz Williams sauntered across the floor and did a little did a little dance with himself um, that the Virginia, the West Virginia fans did not appreciate. Uh, And as I remembered that fact, I was looking it up this morning. They went to West Virginia this year for a game and got blown out. And uh, and the fans gave him a a rowdy round of booze as he entered the stadium. So they don't forget. I didn't forget because I, I think it's one of my favorite memories watching him watching him two step around uh, West Virginia's home floor. But that is not happening today or this week. This week, Virginia Tech is hosting Duke, and uh, they are going to have a really tough time. Unlike our last few opponents, and I'm sure that Jason has already noted this, they are a good three-point shooting team. They have a couple guys that are over 40% from three, so we probably won't see as much zone in this game as we have the last few games, and especially against Clemson, um, because Virginia Tech does have a couple guys who can shoot it. Adam Smith is is their leading scorer. He's a, he's a junior shooting guard. We've seen him before. Um, and then uh, they've also got a uh, freshman wing named Justin Bibbs, who uh, is hitting 44% from three. Both of those guys are really good shooters from outside. So expect Duke to put a little more pressure. Um, I would guess that Quinn Cook is going to end up guarding Adam Smith. He gives up a couple inches as he does to nearly every, every player that he guards. But, um, you know, given the way that we saw him defend Marcus Page this week, I, I think that he's going to be sort of up for that challenge. Uh, the place where Virginia Tech really struggles is that they really don't get on the boards. Their, uh, their leading rebounder until a few weeks ago was Joey Van Zegeren, and he was dismissed from the team a few weeks ago to, quote, focus on his degree. So the details behind that were a little hazy. And he, like I said, he was only averaging five rebounds a game. Now their leading rebounder is averaging under four rebounds a game. And as a team, they only average 30 rebounds a game total. Uh, and that was with Van Zegeren on the team. So. Uh, if Okafor plays, he's probably going to have about 27 rebounds. And if he doesn't play, then maybe Justice Winslow will. I, I, I would expect um, the, this Virginia Tech squad really struggles to get rebounds. And, and they have some depth. They, they are going to probably play about nine guys, but uh, none of them is really good at, at crashing the glass. Um, they did have one very like sort of interesting game that, that we can look at for um, – sort of for how they stack up against against a really good team because they uh, almost beat Virginia at home at you know in Blacksburg uh, a few weeks ago they they lost right at the end of the game um, on a uh, on a three but um, they held Virginia uh, most of the game was due to just Virginia having a, a terrible shooting game um, and and Virginia Tech sort of lighting it up enough to score 47 points against UVA for whatever that's worth um, so I am sure that the squad is is looking at tape of that game to say this is the you know the best version of Virginia Tech that that there is, um, and they 
you know, they have a bad record, but they are certainly talented enough to to run with one of the best teams in the country for 40 minutes, which they did against Virginia. So um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how Duke, uh, uh, how Duke defends the perimeter in this game. And, um, and obviously to see if, if Jolly Okafor is coming back uh, because he would, he's going to be a huge difference maker in this game if he plays. Uh, and if not, we're, we're probably going to have to see Winslow and, and Jefferson and Plumlee step up more like um, especially Winslow did. Uh, against Clemson this week. Have have either of you guys looked at Virginia Tech? Yeah, I was going to say the only comment I have about Virginia Tech is uh, you're you're you were absolutely accurate in saying they're a wretched rebounding team. They don't score very well. They aren't particularly great on defense. I mean, if you look at their scores, you can pretty much book them to score about fifty points. Uh, you know, fifty to fifty-five points, and their opponents to score about sixty-five to seventy-five points. That's that's a <laughs> that's a bad formula. You don't win a lot of games that way. The other thing about Virginia Tech to me is they they've probably packed it in for the season. This is a team that has lost 13 of their past 15 games. They're going nowhere. Uh, they've had guys, you know, leaving the team. Um, I, I can't imagine that Virginia Tech. Maybe they get up for Duke because it's sort of the their big home game. And, and you're right. It's you know it's been their one sellout all year. And this would be the make the season kind of game, but. I, I don't see how they're going to have the firepower. Uh, the, the really interesting thing I'm going to look for is what Duke does defensively if we don't have Okafor. Um, if we have Okafor, it's probably a moot point. But if we don't have Okafor, I, I agree with you. I'm not sure that we can go zone the whole time. Um, so if we play a lot more man-to-man, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how we play man-to-man without having you know the big body in the middle. Um, and then the other thing I'm really looking for is you know when will – Emil Jefferson break out of what's becoming a really prolonged and really concerning slump. He had a very nice half against UNC, but other than that, um, it's been a while since since he really had um, a, a game where you felt like he he had a, a nice positive impact for us. Uh, his game against Clemson may have been his worst game in a Duke uniform. Um, and, uh, you know, being at the stadium, there were a number of times he made mistakes and Coach K immediately turned around and put Marshall Plumley in the game. In fact, Plumley got in a little tiny bit of foul trouble in the first half. If he hadn't, I think the 24-16 minute split that they had would have been even more pronounced. I apologize. I went back to Clemson when we're talking about Virginia Tech. Um, but I, I think the question about Okafor and who replaces him and how we do about that, you know, could be a, a central one um, in, in this Virginia Tech game. Donald, what about you? Yeah, so I, I've seen a few of their games, and it seems like a lot of uh, uh, a lot of their games they actually have been ahead somewhat late in the game, like including against Virginia, and they just kind of let the t- other team get back into it, or they just blow, outright blow it. Uh, I, I don't think they respond well to the pressure of being ahead, which is what good teams need to you know close out games. But one note that I uh, recalled from yesterday's game is that. The team entered yesterday having two game plans for the game, one with with Jazilla and one without him. And coaches told them about an hour and a half before the game, go with the without job plan. So I expect that Coach K would have a similar uh, approach to this game. He's going to have two two game plans, one for if he can play and one for if Okafor can't play. And then on Wednesday, or basically maybe when they go up there the night before, uh, he'll let the team know this is what we're going with. And I really think it's going to be a game time decision with Jalil. Um, 
having said that, I think Virginia still can't handle the athleticism of Justice Winslow, and I think he's going to be the key to his game. Uh, I think Emil and, Mar- and Marshall, if if Okafor aren't play- isn't playing, they need to step up on the uh, defensive glass. But I think Ja can be our a go-to guy when it comes to athleticism in the paint and on the defensive glass. So I, I look to see that this game. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a raucous crowd. I, I know I know in the past we've had a lot of fits uh, in Blacksburg. We haven't won every game, but I, I know all the games there have been fairly close, uh, with the exception of maybe a couple. So I, I need, yeah, I think the team needs to re- recognize that this is their Super Bowl. This is Virginia Tech Super Bowl. Their fans have been waiting for this game the entire season, uh, and it's clear they've checked out of the rest of it. So uh, I expect to see a team that comes out trying to shoot the lights out against us, and we're going to need to combat that pretty quickly. Uh, and, you guys have any final thoughts? Well, and, and, and just, to, just to roll it back, um, I, I mentioned Buzz Williams at the top. I think Buzz Williams is a good coach, and – Sort of in spite of his uh, of his sweater game that we saw a couple of weeks ago with that with that checkered sweater that he wore that that really wasn't doing him any favors. Um, but uh, I I think he's a good coach. I think he he showed that at Marquette. Um, he won some he won some games there, and this program is probably on the rise. But I think it's sort of classic like first year head coach in a in a tough conference. Um, they're just a little in over their heads, and they're and they're still you know, trying to try to figure things out. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sleeping on Virginia tech for years, but, but, uh, but this year, yeah, they're, they, they really only just shoot threes well. And, and even then it's, that's not, that's not keeping them in games um, enough to, to win more than two games so far in conference. They've lost three, they've lost three straight games by close to 20 points, more than 20 or close to 20. I know yeah. those games are on the road. They've, you, you look, you look at their record. They've got a lot of other games where they've just been, they, they haven't been all that competitive. Yeah, they have somewhere they've been competitive, but this is Division One major college basketball. You're a you're a BCS conference team. You're in the ACC. You should be competitive. They're not good. They're not a good team. I think they've checked out. I think the the three straight you know games where they've gotten housed has probably you know made them check out on the season. They're not beating Duke. I don't know what the spread's going to be. You know, probably, spread will probably be 15 points or so. I think I'd take Duke in 15. Well, let's hope you're right. Uh, that'll be a good, interesting contest on Wednesday night, hopefully with less hard medication than there was last Wednesday night. Uh, but moving on, Saturday night, we welcome back Syracuse to Cameron. Uh, we played them back on Valentine's Day. We beat them in the Carrier Dome, 80-72. to 72. Uh, Jason, um, the, last, the first three ACC matchups between these two teams were really good games, probably some of the best in college basketball over these last two years. What are you looking for in this game, uh, especially given that we've just played them a couple weeks ago? Well, you know, they're they're uh, going to be in the middle of a really, really difficult stretch of games. I, you know, I, so they played us. They then, a few days later, they played Louisville, and they beat Louisville, uh, although it's worth noting that Louisville was missing Chris Jones. Um, they then um, lost to Pittsburgh uh, at, at home. Pretty bad loss. Uh, you know, bad loss for Syracuse. Not that Syracuse is looking at the tournament anymore, but in terms of, you know, having a, a good season. They are at Notre Dame this week, then they're at Duke, then they play UVA at home, then they close at NC State, and NC State's going to be, I'm sure that they will be looking at that game as a potential resume builder for for the tournament. I mean, Syracuse is in a really, really rough stretch, and let's be honest, they ain't planned for anything because they're not going anywhere. One key, you know, we have to, of course, think about whether or not Jalil Okafor will be back for that game as well. There's talk he may make it back for Virginia Tech. I certainly hope he's back for Syracuse because... 
uh, Rakeem Christmas. Okafor destroyed Rakeem Christmas. Rakeem Christmas is Syracuse's best player and one of the best players in the country. Um, I, you know Christmas is going to want revenge for for that game. I hope that we will have Okafor to play against him because I, I would be very afraid if we have Emil Jefferson marking Rakeem Christmas um, or Marshall Plumley marking Rakeem Christmas. And then the other thing I'm looking for is can Roberson and Benajay have the same kind of game that they had against Duke the first time? Both those guys had excellent, outstanding um, games. Uh, Roberson was making a number of athletic plays inside um, and around the, the, the paint. And Benajay, of course, went crazy bonkers from the perimeter. Uh, you know, those two guys and, and Rakeem Christmas, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they duplicate what happened last time or, uh, you know, or in the case of Rakeem Christmas, if he's able to break out of a pretty poor game last time. Uh, and uh, so much of it comes down to, will we have big jobs? Yeah, I, I I think you're you're spot on on that key that that it is about if we have Okafor or not, and and I'm sure that Coach K is is you know he's obviously not going to overlook Virginia Tech, but he is looking ahead and says you know if we don't have Jaleel Okafor against Virginia Tech, we might still be okay. If we don't have Jaleel Okafor against Syracuse, you're right, we're we're digging ourselves a big hole because Raheem Christmas is not is not going to succumb um, to Jefferson and Plumlee the way that he did. Uh, to Okafor in the first game. So I think that is the big key. I think the other thing that's going to be interesting is to see, like you mentioned, Benajay and Roberson, who broke out in the game against us uh, a few weeks ago. It's going to be interesting to see how the defensive assignments work, uh, if we stick with the zone a little bit more, or uh, or who gets the matchups on on Benajay, because if we overreact to uh, you know focusing on Benajay, they still have Trevor Cooney, who who was not as much of a factor the, in the first game, but we know from watching him that he has the ability to be a big factor in a game, especially from the outside. So, uh, is someone getting arrested? That's me. Okay, just making sure. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I agree. It's it's about Okafor, but I think it's also going to be interesting to see how we guard the perimeter in this game. Yeah, I agree, and and I, I echo everything that you guys said, especially about. Uh, one, can we get Okafor back? Can he be healthy enough to uh, battle Christmas? Christmas had, uh, I believe, he had twenty nine points yesterday uh, in their game. Um, so he's, you know, I, I want to say that you know the game that we had against Syracuse was kind of an aberration of things, particularly in the way he played and the way that Benajay and Roberson played. But if they can, you know, if we can keep Christmas down, uh, and if if Okafor's back to do that, then that would be very helpful. I don't think that Roberson and it will have as big a game. Uh, I hope he wouldn't. Um, but my prediction is he wouldn't have as big a game as he do, did uh, in the Carrier Dome. But I do think that Benajay could uh, not necessarily get 29 points, but uh, but I think he could have a good game, knowing that he knows Cameron's runs very well, uh, as you know, since he was here for a season and a half. Um, and he, I believe, he played pretty well against us last year uh, at Cameron, if I if I recall correctly. So I think those are the two games that. Uh, or the two teams, the two people that I'm looking for, uh, if they can duplicate their output, then it's going to be another battle. Uh, I think it's going to be one regardless. This is one of the games that, you know, when we when we had the schedule come out in, in August, we're circling the Syracuse games because they've been great games so far. I have no I have no reason to suspect that it won't be a great game again on Saturday. Um, but I think it's going to be one that we, uh, I'm confident that we can pull off. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, I wonder if 
this year we're going to get another uh, brief, angry Jim Beheim strip tease like we did last year in this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, he needs to have a new coat for that. I, I heard he's auctioned off the other one uh, yeah. to charity. So he's going to need a new coat. Hopefully it's a nice, nice fresh one so we can dissect that one. Uh, he, he, he launched a thousand memes with that. It was really it was a great, great moment. Um, I, I think I, it, it was definitely one of the highlights of the season, you know, from a from a silly perspective last year. So uh, yeah. we'll see if it we'll see if this game can measure up. It'll be really tough. Yeah, I, I think it, I, his suit game better be on point on Saturday or, or we're going to we're going to check him on Sunday. So you're warned, Jim Beheim. Make sure you're make sure you come correct, Cameron. Otherwise, just don't come at all. <laughs> but uh, shifting gears before we wrap up with the player of the week on a lighter note. Um, Friday, Nike unveiled their latest uh, Hyper Elite line of jerseys for their premier basketball teams. Of course, we are one of them. They call this line the Disruption Line, and we actually got a new set of jerseys that we will wear Saturday against Syracuse. This will be the sixth different combination of jerseys that we will wear on the court this season, joining the standard white home jerseys, the standard uh, blue away jerseys, the alternate black jersey, and the home and blue faux-back jerseys, as I like to call them, the ones that look like throwbacks but are very just clean, simple, white and blue, blue and white. Sam, your thoughts on the new Disruption jersey and basically all the jerseys we've won this year. Which ones are your favorites? Um, I don't think I'm a fan of the ones we're going to wear this week. I I think a lot of folks on the board sort of pointed this out already, that they kind of look like practice jerseys because they're almost too simple. Um, but I am interested to see what they look like you know, on, on the guys and in the game. Um, Nothing can be worse than those than those gray uniforms we wore a couple of years ago in, in a home game against Maryland, um, which were the most atrocious things uh, that we could have possibly worn. Um, but but in general, I have loved, as you call them, the Fobac, uh uniforms this season. I think they look really sharp. And if we just had the white ones for home games and the blue ones for away games, and that was it for our uniform combinations, I would be really, really happy with that. I think that... Um, you know the 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 black jersey thing. It's it. I think it came into vogue like kind of in the early two thousands, and I, like every team then immediately or not immediately, but over the last however you know ten fifteen years adopted the black. I I don't I don't care for it anymore. Um and uh, and and I hope we just stick with the with those those cool faux You know my, my feeling my feeling on the uniforms is. Whatever. I mean, they're they're trying to sell and market, and and Nike pays a lot of money to Duke, uh, at, you know, to support our athletic program and support our coach. If they want us to do this kind of thing, it's fine with me. You know, one of the interesting things Nike's saying that this is their most technologically advanced anti-sweat uniform they've ever made. There, there's apparently a special lining inside the neck that will help we help you with wiping sweat away from your face, and on the sides they have sort of this this weird design on the sides. It almost looks like a tie or something. I don't even know on the Duke uniform. It looks kind of strange, sort of a weird shape that looks like a, my grandfather's tie. If you like took an x-ray of it or something weird like that, but there's also like this zone right around your hip where they have special moisture wicking area where you can wipe your hands, you know, on your sides, on your hips, and it'll take away the sweat. I don't know that taking away the sweat is like that huge an issue, <laughs> but Nike apparently has conquered it completely uh, with yeah. these new uniforms. Whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a really big Jersey fan. A lot of you, a lot of people who know me uh, know that uh, my closet is full of 
jerseys from every team that I know that I love and support. Um, I really like the jerseys. I, I saw Kentucky and Arizona wore their versions of them last night, and they didn't look uh, they didn't look too bad on TV. They, they didn't look like um, the like you said the gray jerseys where you turn on and, and people would be like, which two teams playing? Because uh, this clearly isn't Duke. Um, I think if we when we wear them on Saturday, you're still going to say, "Oh, that's a Duke team." It's just kind of a weird, minimalistic looking jersey. Um, but I I think on TV they did look really good. Um, I will note that um, I saw I was looking yesterday for the blue fobacks, which I agree with you, Sam. I think those the the white fobac and the blue fobac should be our jerseys forever. I think we should just wrap it up, and those will be our uh, home ones and, and away ones going forward. I was looking for those online yesterday, and I saw that there's actually a blue set of this disruption line uh, of Duke jerseys. Those are actually the only ones that are on sale right now. Um, and I, I found it interesting that there is a blue set, and I'm not sure if we're going if we're planning on the team wearing them, but they are out there. Um, and I know Syracuse has uh, an orange set, so maybe they will wear theirs on Saturday uh, against our white set. But I like them. I thought they're pretty cool. I, I want. I obviously want to see how they look on TV, but. Judging from how the other ones that I've seen so far on TV, they look they look fine, and there's you're not turning on the TV and wondering which teams are playing, which I think is the most important thing. I I also just wanted to note that I I briefly saw the Kentucky uniforms yesterday, um, and and I think I think you're right, they they looked fine, uh, but the uh, those warm up vests that they were wearing, oh yeah, the vests, the jerseys, those things are awful. The 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 blue shirt that's underneath the shooting shirt that's underneath that uh, that has uh, Duke on it that looks really cool. I saw the Kentucky players wearing theirs, and while it said Kentucky on it, it's just simple blue warm up, and that looked pretty cool. But the vests look like I I don't know, look like uh, uh, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future trying to you know go to the prom. Like it was all, they they didn't look terrible. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, before we move on, um, this is a total non sequitur, but. Uh, I want to tell everyone, if you haven't already checked this out, um, Sports Illustrated's Luke Wynn does power rankings every week. And uh, they're really worth reading because, uh, especially for someone who likes statistics, uh, Luke Wynn uh, subscribes to, you know, as as an SI writer, he subscribes to a whole bunch of different folks who give him all kinds of really cool, interesting statistical data. Um, His power rankings, by the way, in the wake of the UNC game, he has elevated Duke to his number two team in the country. Um, His rankings go Kentucky, then Duke, then Virginia, then Wisconsin. Um, uh, You know, and I'm... Uh, by the way, I, as as we as the season winds down, uh, you're going to begin to hear me rant about um, Gonzaga and how they absolutely positively do not deserve a number one seed. But we'll get to that later. But in any event, um, folks should really check out Luke Wynn's power rankings because he has some fascinating things to say about Duke. Um, uh, he has uh, uh, some really interesting uh, splits on Tyus Jones with Rashid Suleiman and without Rashid Suleiman. Um, since Rashid Suleiman left the team, Tyus Jones has just uh, his statistics, his numbers are through the roof. You know, he's a 50% three-point shooter since Rashid left the team. His assist to turnover ratio has improved markedly. His scoring average is up five points a game. Um, you know, so that's really cool. And then the other really cool thing, the reason I wanted to highlight this, and you guys are probably like, what is Jason talking about? Because I didn't warn you about this. He has this incredible pie chart of who passes the ball to Jalil Okafor, who's you know, feeds lead to Jalil scoring buckets. Now, as you would imagine, Tyus Jones is first. He's, you know, this is through the UC game. He'd fed Jalil 67 times and it had resulted in 125 points. 
Um, Quinn Cook was second, and Justin that's a, Winslow. That's a, wait, hang on. That's a huge number of. Well, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I, uh, yes. Now hold on. This is this is when Jalil scores. Tyus has probably fed him oh, okay. sixty-seven oh, okay. times. I was like, when he dang. <laughs> <laughs> when he feeds him and he scores, it's you know. So Tyus leads the team. Then Quinn Cook. You 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 would absolutely expect that. But the interesting thing that jumped off the page to me was the last guy on the Duke team. Um, uh, at the very bottom of the pie chart is a combination of Grayson Allen, uh, Semi Ojale, and Rashid Suleiman, who fed Jalil Okafor a total of 11 times for 21 points. The reason it's interesting to me is when you think about how much Suleiman was on the floor with Big Ja, um, you know, they, they played together a lot until Suleiman got released from the team. And here you're you're bunching Suleiman along with two other guys who barely played at all. It sort of shows you one of the impacts, I think, of Suleiman not being on the team anymore. Because it's clear from looking at this chart that Rashid wasn't really great at getting the ball to other guys and getting the ball to other guys in positions where they could score. Uh, and I just found that you know kind of fascinating to note. Um, and, and I recommend folks have a have a look at what Luke Wynn um, puts out there because uh, the stats are really really cool. And uh, I apologize. Move on to something else now. That was cool. Thanks. Yeah, that was cool. I, I that is a very interesting stat. And in, in like you said, it seems like our uh, uh, assist output has improved a lot. Just the spreading of the ball around, like it, you can see the flow of the offense just seems a little. Uh, everyone knows what they're supposed to do, and everyone knows they're supposed to be in the court, and they're finding each other if they're in a in a bad position to score, which I think is great. Yeah, um, there was uh, the. I think my my favorite highlight from the game yesterday that I, that we didn't mention uh, there was one play and gosh, I can't remember who, who each of the players were, but we had the ball um, kind of like around the, the foul line. One of the guards had it passed it directly inside under the basket to another guard who then flipped it immediately out to the, out to the corner. And I want to say that it was cook that, that shot the three. Uh, no, 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 no. The, the, the play you're talking about, yeah. uh, Grayson Allen, Grayson Allen was yeah. racing. Um, through the middle, he got a pass and immediately redirected it. That they was all it, yeah. collapsed up. He immediately redirected it to Tyus Jones. Oh, Tyus Jones, okay. And, and Tyus hit a three. It was Allen's one assist in the game. It was a really nice play on his part. And, uh, you know, I almost mentioned that play earlier because, to me, that was the play that really said to me, this team has absolute confidence in Grayson Allen on the floor at any and all times because um, they hit him in a position where could have been dangerous if he didn't know what he was going to do because he was on the move. <laughs> he was moving fast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if he doesn't make a, a very, very lightning fast decision, something bad could have happened. Um, and he made a great decision and it ended up in a three-pointer for Duke. Um, so I, I'm glad you highlighted that play because I almost mentioned it earlier. Yeah, he, if, if he hadn't passed it immediately, the ball was going out of bounds with him. Yes, yes. Yeah. Even, though, mm-hmm. even though I think he caught it in the lane. That's how fast he was moving. Right, right. All right, so before we wrap up, of course, it's Player of the Week time. We mentioned in our last episode that if we were doing Player of the Week honors for just the UNC game, Tyus Jones would probably have been the unanimous choice. Now that the Clemson game is complete, Jason, I'll start with you. I think we're going to go in a different direction. We are. We are. I've been the, the lead on the Tyus Jones Player of the Week. So I think he. I think I said. I think he's won three out of four for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm all on the Justice Winslow train, and it's uh, – it's not just because of the incredible game he had against Clemson. As I mentioned when we talked about the Carolina game, I absolutely credit that victory to Justice Winslow um, because he fought so hard 
for rebounds, to keep rebounds alive, to, you know, his effort, um, as we mentioned in the earlier podcast, his effort in the final five minutes of regulation and the five overtime was unbelievably impressive to me. Um, And I I really feel it was his effort that allowed us to make the comeback and then win that game in overtime. And then against Clemson, his first half, uh, I was at the game, so I couldn't study the statistics quite as much as I usually do, but I believe he had 17 points and 10 rebounds at halftime. I may be off about that a little bit, but his first half was ridiculous, put the game out of reach. He He had a fabulous week. Uh, he even, you know, he did it all for us. And uh, there, there was, to me, there's no question. As great a week as Tyus Jones had, there's no question to me that Justice Winslow was my player of the week. Sam. All right. I am going to take the guy that I think I've taken the most so far, which is Quinn Cook. Um, he had a tremendous game against UNC. He uh, he made a bunch of three-pointers um, and, and sort of kept the team uh, ahead offensively. And then in the game yesterday against Clemson, it seemed like he was everywhere. He he made a bunch of shots. Um, obviously against UNC, he he had the great defense against Marcus Page that we that we highlighted um, on Thursday night. And I'm and I say this every week. I'm really impressed with Quinn Cook the way that he's he's matured into a leader on this team. I think it was Donald earlier uh, today uh, mentioned that that hug that he gave to Coach K. You can tell uh, watching the way they interact now that. That Coach K is really proud of the way that uh, that Quinn has matured um, throughout this season and and over the course of his career. He's really come into his own. He hasn't hit the wall that he's hit each of the last three seasons, and it's just it's just such a joy to watch him play. Um, and the the one play that yeah, you know, I, I mentioned that my favorite play was the was that Grayson Allen pass yesterday. One of the other coolest plays was Quinn Cook at the end of the first half making that ridiculous jumper um, from from down near the baseline. Uh, so he he's had his own highlights. Uh, he he's played really well in both of these games. So I am going to give Player of the Week to Quinn Cook. You know, before Donald gives us his Player of the Week, I want to commend you. Um, a great call on Player of the Week. As strongly as I felt about Justice Winslow, man, what a fabulous week. Quinn, what a fabulous two weeks Quinn Cook has had. You know, he's averaging more than 23 points a game in our last four games. And my favorite stat about him our last four games is he has played 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then 39 because we blew Clemson out so he could come out in the final minute. Uh, Quinn Cook uh, has been Duke's MVP the past couple weeks. Um, a great choice on Player of the Week. And, man, is he playing fabulous, fabulous basketball right now. Are you yeah, sure I, you didn't watch the game yesterday? Because all the stats you just threw out were all things they mentioned during the broadcast. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, yeah. they highlighted his his playing all the minutes and, and, and that, what is it, 24 or 23 points per game? In, over his last four, when they put that up, they had a nice like, little graphic for him too. Yeah, I was like, I was like, man, I knew that I had been picking him for Player of the Week, but I didn't know that he was that he was killing it like that. Uh, yeah, he, they 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 talked about him a pretty fair amount. I, yeah. I have TV, I have TV playing in my head at all times. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I, I also, with all with all apologies to Tyrus or Quinn, I thought about this long last night uh, as I was snowed in here in DC, um, and I just want to point out that the fact that uh, basically, we had three guys to choose from. Uh, let's just know that we had a really good week of, of college basketball. So that's one. Uh, I am going with Justice Winslow as well. Um, you know, I think everybody had tremendous week, but I'm giving a slight edge to Justice for not only, like Jason said, that last five minutes of regulation and, and, and then overtime where he just dominated. And I'll point out 
that I believe it was at like the 435 mark left in regulation where he got that dubious fourth foul. And so he did that whole domination of the UNC game, of the last part of the UNC game with four fouls, um, including fouling out uh, Bryce Johnson. So I thought that was tremendous. Uh, he was off. He was awesome yesterday uh, on the offensive end and uh, cleaning up the glass in Jaws' absence. So with all that, with all apologies to Tyus and Quinn because they also had tremendous weeks and they also uh, deserve kudos. My player of the week, Justice Winslow. Um, and I don't, it, I, I'd love to see, I love to see him keep doing that because he's been the X factor in the last couple of weeks. And How did none I, of us pick Tyus Jones. How did none of us pick Tyus Jones? How did I, that happen? I, I said he, had a, he had a pedestrian near double double against Clemson. I, I, I apologize. <laughs> he, had nine, he had nine assists against Clemson and he owned. I maybe, mean, he had a game, he had one of the greatest statistical games we've ever seen against Carolina. How did none of us pick him? <laughs> Maybe maybe if he had ten assists, maybe we could have got more recognition. But I don't know. I I honestly like I sat here and I was like, I think someone's gonna pick Tyus, and I think I tried to hedge my bet by picking Justice because I figured somebody would pick Tyus, and I think we all were thinking the same thing. Yeah, I I figured that one of you was gonna do it, and that and that I just really wanted to talk about Quinn Cook again. <laughs> Sorry, Tyus, but you 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 we still love you. Just know that. But that is going to do it for this week's. Duke Basketball Report podcast. If you haven't yet, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and please leave reviews. It helps us become more visible. This week, guys, we are actually the 125th on the rankings for most popular college sports podcasts. Last week, we were unranked, so that is meteoric rise in the world of podcasts on iTunes. We even overtook, I believe, Sam, it was the TarHeelBlue.com podcast, yep. whatever that whatever that is. Um, hey, that's pretty awesome. Who, who's number 124? We're coming for you. Oh, uh, I'm I'm actually inside Carolina's podcast is ranked at 29th, so we clearly need to overtake them by March. I think that's got to be our goal. Yeah, and and I just like to point out that we went from being unranked to basically being Duke football in 2007. Um, so <laughs> yeah. when I when I pointed this out when I pointed this out to my friends yesterday, um, the uh, the inevitable question that came after that was, so who's our who's our coach Cutcliffe who's gonna who's gonna lift us all the way through the rankings? <laughs> he's out there. He's out there. It's, he's going to emerge. And you know what? It's going to be a great, great rise. And hopefully everybody is along for the ride uh, as we keep going into March. Again, inside Carolina, I'm not worried about number 124. I'm worried about you guys. We're coming for you. I know you're preseason ranked four. Now you're 29. We feel You feel our footsteps, and we're coming for you. Yeah, hey, how could IC be ahead of us? Did you all hear Roy Williams just destroy his fans yesterday? Oh, man, we didn't even talk about that. All right, time out. We're talking about this. <laughs> We're not wrapping up yet, y'all. I have never – whatever bus that he bought to put those fans underneath and just basically drive over like a Tonka truck, that was just tremendous. I was watching that, and I, I, I was just – I was stunned at first, and then I couldn't stop laughing because he was dead serious. It was it was bad because like like you said it started and you were like this is incredible um, but I'm probably just hearing it wrong like I'm probably not I'm not digesting what Roy Williams is saying to the to the level that I think it is and then and then it just kept going it was like a minute and a half of him talking about uh, how the fans weren't savvy enough to recognize that they ran the four corners yesterday which by the way was very cool but like it happened you know in 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 like three seconds. And then he was like, you know, the fans in the fans in Cameron were really. He didn't say it exactly like that, but the fans in Cameron are really great. Like, why can't why can't our fans be invested like that? And I think he used the word invested 
Yeah, he and I I can't imagine being a for a number of reasons I can't imagine being a Carolina season ticket holder, but I can't imagine being one of those Carolina season ticket holders who probably you know pays many thousands of dollars a year for the right to, to sit in those seats for for all those Carolina games. Um, when he said the word investment, I was I cringed so hard because that is that's just the worst way to put it. I I, I was waiting for him to actually use the words wine and cheese. He 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 never. Seth Greenberg. Never, yeah, Seth, Seth Greenberg did. Yeah, yeah. Well, he never quite stooped so far as to refer to his fans as a wine and cheese crowd, as as the great onion head Sam Cassell once did. Um, and thank you forever, Sam. We will be able to refer to them that way, thanks to you. I I think we're seeing um, the stress of of losing his mentor um, on Roy, and and the stress of it, it's uh, it's been a bad. It's been a bad year, a couple years, um, you know, defending themselves from the the academic scandal and the Weinstein report and things like that. Uh, I'm sure Roy is constantly hearing it behind the scenes about that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, there are all these questions as to whether or not uh, he's going to have wins and titles potentially stripped. Um, if there's any justice in the world, he certainly will. Uh, and then, you know, combine that with losing Dean Smith. Um, he does something that he thinks you know the fans are really going to recognize and go crazy over, and they don't they don't notice it at all. And how on earth, Carolina fans, come on, how did you not recognize that the four corners were being played? I mean, do you need the entire stadium to stand up? Do you need the entire all the players to stand up and put a four in the air with their hands to to, to signal it to you? Uh, you know, bad form on their part to not figure out what the heck is going on. But I think I think Roy is really really stressed. And, uh, and it's showing, uh, you know, people have said they wouldn't be surprised if he retired fairly soon. I, I don't know about that, but um, guy's not doing well, not doing well. Well, I mean, you could, and one final note, you could tell how as much fun as Coach K seemed like he was having on the bench yesterday, eight miles down the road, it does not look like that Roy is having any fun whatsoever uh, on the bench. He, I mean, you could tell, like you said, all the stress with, with Dean's passing, with the scandal, it, the you know, just the crowds, just probably having to hear it from them on a regular basis, and you could tell that he would like he was angry. He was trying to mask it yesterday in that press conference, but he did not do a good job. And you can you can tell that he is not, uh, uh, you know, other than uh, whatever Quinn Cook said to him on Wednesday to get him to laugh, he has not had a fun season on the sidelines, and he's pretty much coaching that way. He's coaching as if he's tired and needs a break. Um, but I don't think he's retiring anytime soon. But I, I, I thought that was a pretty interesting dynamic, you know, separating eight miles between us. So, uh, Donald, I think you you saw the same uh, the same uh, game day shot that I did, where Seth Greenberg talked about the wine and cheese crowd. Yes. Um, and then and then Jay Williams accidentally dropped a uh, like when we go to Chapel Hill thing, uh, re- uh, referring to Duke and. Uh-huh. Uh, and and Reese Davis and and Seth Greenberg both looked at him and they were like, like oh we? you said like, we you like we? You, you broke the rule <laughs> uh, it, it, it was adorable and, and Jay Williams like had a had like a sheepish grin and, and, and tossed his uh tossed his notes in the air and was like all right you got me <laughs> but he defended I mean he defended the he, he it was good because people were kind of ragging on him on the boards for defending Roy but I think he was defending from a player standpoint, but yeah, I mean, exactly. I was sitting there like, look, you know, when I was headline monitor, if coach needed to do something, he, either he said it, it was very quick. It was like, Hey, JJ's had a rough couple of days and would just say that and walk away. And I would be like, okay, I know what that means. 
we need to pick up pick up JJ and the students could take it over. And I, I think it's, you know, for something that lasted about 15 seconds, you would have thought that he could have told like maybe one, one of their student leaders saying, Hey, look, we're about to do something. We're, we're going to hold, we want the student body to hold up four fingers for the first possession. You'll understand why when we're doing it, just, you know, that's just the request and just walk away. And I think the students would have responded and that would have helped make it a little more uh, dramatic as far as the, this, the visual in the stands. But um, it, it's kind of weird that he used that little one possession would just kind of use that to kind of go off the rail. Yeah. Why, uh, why didn't he keep going with it? They, they scored an easy bucket. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. Run it again. Yeah. Run it, run until run like, like Novocaine run until it goes numb. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, now I, I didn't get to see it. My understanding is the Carolina players did not raise four fingers in the air either, did they? No, they did. They did. They, they knew the players it was coming, on the court and they, they all put four fingers up. Um, yeah. And Roy kind of like turned around to the bench and had all of them do it too. Um, but there's no shot of like, you know, like no like wide shot of the stadium seeing it. So it's clear that that all everybody on the team knew it was about to happen. But then like like they put the fingers up. Marcus Page took like two dribbles and then – and then passed to, I think it was Tokido, got to the basket, and then he right. scored, and then they just moved on. Yeah. Um, they, like, they, like, didn't really give it time to sink in what they were doing. They just were like, all right, we're going to do it, and let's go. They, um, it was, Roy said in a press conference later on that it was um, something that they had, like, a, you know, media day or whatever. Not media day, but they had media in for some of the practices. And then they basically ended practice. They did, like, th- their media obligations before and then after all that, they went back out and practiced it. So the whole team knew it was coming. The whole team knew that was what they wanted to do. And as he did turn to the crowd, but as soon as he turned to the crowd and held up four fingers is when Marcus Page passed to Tokido. And at that point, he kind of like clapped and kind of like breathed. You know, you could tell he had a moment. And then the game went on. But like it's, it didn't seem like that was something that he was really upset about because, like I said, he was trying to motion the crowd and turn around and the ball was in the basket. Yeah, he looked he looked totally fine, like you said, in the moment. Um, he he was like totally relieved that they did it, and and looked very sort of satisfied. Um, so it was weird that the that the press conference happened and he freaked out. Yeah, that's stress. That's yeah. that's what happens. You know, he he feels stress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we can now wrap it up. Uh, yeah. This is the Basketball Report podcast. Uh, Sam Klein, Jason Evans, thanks as always. See ya. Adios. And Duke Ben, close us out. We'll catch you guys next weekend.